Today on CityCast Denver. A young woman named Isabella Thales was shot and killed on the streets of downtown Denver on June 10th, 2020. She and her boyfriend were walking their dog and a man shot at them from inside his own apartment. It was random and horrific, just like the other 40,000 killings by gun violence in America every year. But for Peter Sagal, the comedian and journalist I grew up listening to on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, something about Thales' story stood out. And uh, I think it's I think I provide a great service to the nation because everybody needs, you know, to laugh at fart jokes for an hour every week. And I'm proud of what we've done. And, and obviously it's been a very long run and I could go on about it. But it's not the only thing I think about, you know. Sagal published a lengthy report on Thales' murder in The Atlantic last week. So we hope you understand we're delaying Pizza Week by just one day to talk to one of America's favorite radio personalities about why he couldn't stop thinking about Isabella Thales. Today is Monday, September 26th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Peter Sagal, welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. Peter, what made you want to write a story about Bella Thallis? Uh, that's actually uh, one of the things I was trying to figure out in the course of writing it. Um, I came across the new story. I wish I could remember how. Uh, I'm, I'm an I'm a undisciplined and person who keeps poor records, so I have no record of when I first saw the story. Obviously, it was soon after it happened in June of 2020, which means I, like everybody else, was probably stuck at home and do what I always do, stuck at home or not, and just look at the internet all day. Um, It might have caught my eye because, well, a lot of obvious reasons. Uh, It's insane. Uh, I mean, even in, as you know, a world in which you can find stories of, of unjust and tragic shootings every day, It just struck me as being particularly insane, the circumstances of it. This young couple walking their dog, some guy takes exception to them and shoots them. Um, That a lot had something to do with it. Uh, The fact that she was a young, attractive woman, which in our media culture usually means that you get more attention. I had that same thought about this story. She's gorgeous. Um, She's gorgeous. Her story was tragic. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, there are a lot of very cynical things that uh, you could say. Maybe she would have gotten more attention if she vanished on a camping trip with her boyfriend or was on vacation in Aruba. Maybe it's because, you know, there wasn't any mystery, you know. Uh, There wasn't any, you know, this wasn't true crime. This wasn't um, you know, pre-made for a, a kind of true crime podcast. I mean, serial episode about this would last four minutes because they caught the guy that day and there was never any question of whether he had done it or not. The only question was whether he was going to be convicted of first-degree murder, which, as I'm sure you know, he was by pure coincidence two days after my article came out. But to just try to finish answering your question, I don't know exactly why. And then, I mean, I saw it, the story when it happened, and I followed it. I would occasionally Google her name, um, you know, and say, "Well, what's going on?" And, and there were developments in the case over the years, but it just no one ever. It, it never like got noticed. I only found one article outside of the Denver Press about it, and that was an article in the Washington Post that came out when it 
became known where the weapon came from. That is, it was the property of a Denver police sergeant. And that sort of gave it, I don't know what you want to call it, that extra dramatic twist that maybe uh, drew some attention. Now it's about gun culture and gun violence, but also it's about a police cover-up. But other than that, you know, nobody had ever heard of it. So to the extent that I was able to finally give it that attention, or her, I should say, that attention that uh, I always felt she deserved, well, I, I feel like I've, some, I've succeeded to some extent. Absolutely. I mean, I, I knew the story sort of back and front from living here, like you said. Uh, it got a lot of local coverage, but but there wasn't a deeper dig. The way that you filled in the details of who Bella was. Right. And, and that, to me, became weirdly important. And again, I had no idea who she was. I read the local news stories, and I should say, especially since I'm speaking to a Denver podcast, that yes, indeed, the, de- the local Denver press, most especially but not exclusively TV9, uh, did a really good job of covering the story and the aftermath and uh, what happened to the shooter and the legals case. And not only that, but the ways in which uh, Bella was memorialized by the Denver community, including the park that was made in her honor after a guy spontaneously put up a mural of Bella, and as well as the renovation and dedication of literally the spot where she was killed into a kind of park slash memorial. But like you said, nobody else knew about it, at least outside the Denver community. Well, and again, you you really, you went this extra step to, to tell really, you know, sort of like mundane details, but also really important details about who she was and and who her family was and how this impacted them. And I'm thinking about how you laid out the experience of their day when she was killed. And I wondered if you could share some of what you learned about that day that Bella was murdered. That became really important to me to do that, to do two things, to both try to describe as best I could um, a woman who I'd never met, and of course now never will, um, as best I could capture her character, what made her distinct, what made her not just a name, not just a a pretty face, but a real living person who had a past and a present and should have had a future. And, you know, we're all defined by the little things that we do and our choices, our quirks. And and when I spoke to her father, Josh Thallis, her mother, Anna Thallis, her sister, Lucia Thallis, and her boyfriend who was with her when she was killed and who was gravely wounded, Darian Simon, I, I kept asking them, tell me something about Bella. Tell me something that makes her just something particular about her, something. And I learned a lot more than I could get in the article. So Bella and Sia, very close in age. They were born less than two years apart, actually almost exactly two years apart, excuse me. Um, and they grew up almost as twins. I mean, they were very close in age. And, and of course, they're going through very similar experiences going back and forth between their mother and their father and, and, and living up through their that very difficult marriage. So they were very, very close, but they were very, very different. And and one of the ways and they were different was that Sia was and is more athletic and, and, and carried herself with that style. So she always tied her hair back uh, because she was always doing something. Uh, Bella, more fashion-oriented, style-oriented, um, didn't do that. And Bella was always trying to get Sia to, like, take her hair down when she was taking photographs. Because, mm. you know, kids these days, they're always taking photographs <laughs> for Insta and other things. And and one of the things that Sia told me is that she would take off her, like, they're going to take a picture for Instagram or whatever. Sia would say, wait, and she'd take the hairband off and she'd put it on her wrist. 
because that's where she put her hairband. As I said to Sia when we were talking about this, you have to explain this in detail. I'm a middle-aged man with no hair. I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> I was like, this is so relatable to me, yes. <laughs> right, so she takes off the hairband and she puts it on her wrist. And and Bella, who was either staging or taking the photo, would say, nope, nope, get rid of it. Nope, you can't have it on your wrist, you know? And and I, that's the sort of thing I love. Does it Does it say anything? Does it prove that Bella was like a particularly special person? whose loss we should mourn more than anybody else? No, but she really was a distinct and individual person who had her quirks, who had her hang-ups, who had her likes, who had her dislikes, just as much as anybody else. And the second thing I wanted to do was I wanted to talk about the experience of the day, not only so that people would know as best as one can from the outside, I mean, it, this this is very strange to say in regard to a tragedy, but there's the sort of weirdly fortunate aspect that Darian was with her, was terribly wounded and survived. So we can talk to Darian. I can talk to Darian, and I can tell you what he said about the experience of being shot by a stranger. You know, one of the things that Darian said to me is so the gunfire explodes, Bella falls, he turns, tries to run, gets a few yards, 20 feet or so, before he can't drag his, his shattered leg anymore. And he's lying there and he's going, whoa, well, this is a terrible dream. Okay, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And that just struck me as exactly what you or I would do. I mean, this, the, the absolute impossibility of what just happened to them, that some guy, for no reason at all, opened fire in them. And, and of course, your, your brain just can't accept it. So you must be dreaming. It can't be real. And they all went through that, coming to grips with the fact that this absolutely impossible tragedy had just occurred. I want to talk about the shooter for a moment without centering him, which I think you did such a wonderful job in this story of not doing yeah, and and if if, 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 if and just, I think you anticipate this, but I, I kind of want to say why I didn't do that. Yeah, actually, then maybe let's talk about that, Peter. Why did you not talk about the shooter? First of all, because that often is the center, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a very natural uh, reaction. Why? Who is this person? What, what, what dragged them to do this? Why did they do it? What's their motive? You know, we've all... It, it's both a natural fascination with evildoers and danger. We want to know who the dangerous person is. Villains are always so much more compelling in fiction than heroes. Uh, it's also, you know, self-preservation. We want to, there's also, and this gets a little more, this gets a little more weird, but I also think it's important that I think we, we, we center on the, the evildoers as a way of self-protection, right? Mm-hmm. If, we can, if we can describe them and exclude them, right? They're not normal. They're crazy. They're, you know, I mean, here in Highland Park, there there was a lot of speculation that the shooter was anti-Semitic, right? Mm. Because Highland Park is a very Jewish town. I don't think there's any evidence that he was anti-Semitic. Uh, but we want to be able to explain it, right? And you say, okay, well, that person was crazy, or that person was anti-Semitic, or that person was a lunatic, or that person was off his meds. So therefore, that explains that. Wipe your hands, move on. And the second thing is, is... I didn't want to elevate him to the level of his victim. I didn't want this to be about, you know, one day these two people met and one died, you know. No, somebody died, and that's what I wanted to write about, not the person who killed her, even though, obviously, it's pretty important who killed her because otherwise she wouldn't be dead. 
There's something else about the randomness of this murder, I think, that puts the focus back on us, the readers, the listeners who learn about Bella through stories like yours. And I wonder, like, did you ever start to think of yourself as a survivor of this kind of random gun violence? Like, you know, 40,000 Americans die every year, but not us. So, like, where does that leave us? There's this passage in the book, The Right Stuff, by Tom Wolfe. And he's writing about the test pilots, the people who became the Gemini astronauts. The Mercury 7, excuse me, Mercury. And he's writing about the fact that a lot of them would die Mm. flying these planes because they were test pilots. It was extraordinarily dangerous. And whenever any one of them died, the other ones would come up with a way to explain it away. They'd say, well, he died because he made this mistake. Or he died because he forgot to check this. Or he died because he wasn't careful in this way. And it was always a way of putting up a kind of defensive wall so that they wouldn't have to confront the very high chances that they themselves would die. Because, oh, that guy made this mistake. I'm not going to make that mistake. Or that guy, you know, he he flew in this kind of vehicle. I'm never going to fly in that kind of vehicle because I'm too smart to do that. And I think one of the ways that we deal with the absolute, you know, cataclysm of gun violence in this country is we kind of do the same thing, right? Yeah. We say, oh, you know, that person got shot because, well, I mean, where do you want to start? Because they were in a gang, because they lived in a neighborhood with gangs, because they had a gun in their home, because they're, they're, they had married some guy who was crazy. And you come up with an explanation, and, and by way of doing that, you, you exclude it from something that might happen to you or your loved ones, because you don't live in a neighborhood like that, and you're not in a gang, and you're not married to a crazy person or anything. There is no way you can talk yourself around this one. They didn't do anything wrong is not even the right word. They didn't do anything to provoke them. They didn't do anything to endanger themselves. They they were in like a lovely, you know, the neighborhood. This is not a bad neighborhood. This is a relatively new neighborhood in Denver. I've been there. You know what it's like. It's filled with all kinds of nice people. It's perfectly affluent. There's no very little crime there. There was no reason to expect anything like this would ever happen. And it happened. And I, and I very much wanted to take away any manner by which people could explain this away and not confront the truth, which is this could happen to anybody at any time. It makes me wonder if that's how we rationalize gun violence often is by explaining those things away. But then we're faced with these experiences that there's just no, there's no way out of it. Like she could, I know that you talk about her mother having this thought, like if I hadn't gotten in that fight that pushed her to move out, that pushed her to move in with her boyfriend into this neighborhood, she would never have been there. And like, God, I can't imagine going through that as a parent, but that's impossible. There's no, you you said it. There's just no way to avoid what happened. She couldn't have done anything. She couldn't have done anything. So she had this fight with her daughter, which, you know, I heard about, but I didn't want to litigate that fight in public. So it happened. Yeah. And she, because of this fight, this this young woman moved in with her boyfriend. Her mother wasn't happy about that, but she wasn't going to stop her from doing it, you know, so it was all good. They had made their peace. It was okay. And, be, and, and you could say, yes, there's a chain of events, the fight, moving out into Darien, going for a walk that day, her getting shot. Yes. So there's a causal effect. But you can't say, oh, because she threw her daughter out of her house over a fight, that led directly to her death. I mean, 
any more than you can say to somebody, oh, you shouldn't have gotten on that freeway, because if you hadn't gotten on the freeway, the guy wouldn't have run into you. I mean, yes, that's literally true, but it's not like getting on the freeway is, is inviting a tragedy. It's what anybody does without expecting any terrible, terrible outcome. Yeah. So you're not a criminal justice reporter, right? Most, no. most folks will know you as I know you. You're an NPR host. You're, you're a comedian. You're someone that, that looks at and examines the news as your job, but you, you know, it's, it's a different take. Fart jokes. It's mainly fart jokes, people smuggling animals in their pants, people being dumb. But this is not your wheel. Like not, not that it's not your Ain't wheelhouse. It? No, it's, it's not. It's not your, it's not something you would normally cover. And I, I just wonder um, how this experience of reporting on on Bella and her life affects the way that you think about gun violence. Well, I've actually always been really, really concerned about gun violence. I mean, I'll say to you what, what anybody with a job like mine will say to you, like, I love my job, and uh, I think it's I think I provide a great service to the nation because everybody needs, you know, to laugh at fart jokes for an hour every week. And I'm proud of what we've done, and, and obviously it's been a very long run, and I could go on about it. But it's not the only thing I think about, you know. Right. And I have been concerned about the rising tide of gun violence uh, in America for a very, very long time. Why? Because I live here and because I can see it. And in addition to just the growing carnage, I've also seen with alarm and disbelief this, this modern gun culture grow up in which people honestly believe that to, I don't know, to, to infringe... <laughs> upon the right to own military-grade weapons, as many as you want, uh, is somehow a, 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 an infringement of, of human freedom. And, and, and the result of that is that people are getting massacred in the streets by the thousands every year. Um, and, and, it's just, and it's just amazing to me that we just continue, and, and that's how I ended the article, and it was obviously a, a kind of an emotional thing because, of course, the shooting that happened here in Highland Park, and it's like, when are we just going to stop and look around and say people can't live like this anymore? No, as as you know, no other modern advanced nation lives like this. The only other people who live like this are living in war zones. Are you hopeful at all that we will finally say as a country and a culture that we can't live like this anymore? I, I don't, I think, let me put it this way. There are a lot of people who are saying that. Mm. And in the end, you know, it really boils down to, I think, who... Who are there more of? The people who believe that this, this is untenable and we can't live this way and we can't continue to lose people like Bella Thalys for no reason versus the people who think somehow that's an acceptable price to pay for some abstract idea of freedom or sense of personal empowerment. And, you know, I'll, I'll just say this in the hope that, um, that you know, the people who listen to you folks in Denver and who might hear it, who know the family, which is, it's been a little bit of a weird experience to, you know, I, I wanted to write this article to the extent that it has succeeded in bringing attention to Bella. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. But I'm also getting, uh, you know, people are saying, oh, Peter, great job. And Peter, you did such a good job. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's nice. I guess it's nice. But I, this is not in any way about me. Um, it is about Bella Thallis, Isabella Joy Thallis, who died a few days after her 21st birthday. It is about her father, Josh Thallis, who loved her dearly and would have gladly given up his own life for her. About Anna Thallis, who tried to raise her as best she could to be a strong and independent woman who would go on in life 
to do wonderful things about her sister, Lucia Thalys, who loved her like a twin, who is going to walk through the rest of her life feeling as if part of her own body is missing. And Darian Simon, who, you know, had met what he believed for good reason to be the love of his life and his future. And had that amazing moment, something that most people don't have, of, of knowing you've met your soulmate, and and he lost it. And I think it's got to be about those people as well as all the other people who knew Bella Thalys and who are, you know, will be walking around with that hole for the rest of their lives. And if, you know, you want to think about anybody, uh, think about them. Peter Sagal, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for caring. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. E-bikes. Still. Denver's Climate Office is releasing another batch of the wildly popular rebates on October 3rd, and I expect that they'll get claimed immediately. So if you want one, make sure you're online at 8 a.m. on the 3rd. And while you wait, don't miss our episode from a couple weeks back with Westward reporter and big e-bike guy Connor McCormick-Cavanaugh. It turns out that someone at the Climate Office already heard that episode, and a spokesperson reached out to clarify one point. When we were talking about the equity component, my producer Paul speculated about how the Climate Office may or may not have worked with Denver's new Office of Social Equity and Innovation. A Climate Office spokesperson said that, in fact, the Equity Office has pointed to the e-bike program as an example of how to fold equity into government work. She said, quote, we're pretty proud of that and the fact that most of the funding for e-bikes has gone toward the income qualified program. I'll share more of her comments in the show notes. And finally, we feel bad about delaying pizza week. So here's a little teaser of what you can expect. This is me, newsletter writer Peyton Garcia, producer Paul Caroli, and our guest Molly Martin from Westward on the recent rise of Detroit style pizza. For me, ever since I discovered Detroit style, that's my go-to. That's all I want right now. I like it. The the just I like all of the crust. Um, I like the like griddled cheese on the side. That's that's where I'm at. Um, Detroit style is so good. It's it's, I, it's so hard exciting. to talk for me. And now, I mean, I feel like I used to not discriminate against pizza very much, but now Detroit style is all I want. You know, a lot of people talk about blue pan, like they make Detroit style. They're very popular. Um, uh, that's. Uh, Peyton's favorite pizza place. Yeah, that's because it's the best pizza place. Um, <laughs> FYI, <Paul>. definitively. <laughs> Somewhere that I, I tried, uh, I got takeout from a few times during the pandemic that does Detroit style is Jets Pizza. Yeah. Oh, I delivery that place Detroit style. Always wondered about it. Pretty I, good. I just tried it for the first time. They opened one near my house. I ordered delivery. It was delicious. It made me feel awful after. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, in the Molly. moment, so good. <laughs> Many regrets after. Is it, is it comparable to Blue Pan? So I have feelings about Blue Pan. Let's hear them. Let's hear them. To hear Molly's hot take on the hottest pizza in town, join us tomorrow. Because this is also good news. It means you have an extra day to get your pizza takes in. Because we still want to know, who has the best pizza in Denver? Leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and you might hear it on the show later this week. You can reach us at 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Blue Pan Pizza about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later.
ايوه ابو زي جاجا